Hey, do you like weird movies? You do? Have you heard of Vinegar Syndrome? Find them online at www.vinegarsyndrome.com. Vinegar Syndrome is one of the leading exploitation and grindhouse preservation and distribution companies in the world. They've got a simple three-step process that I call the three R's. Recover, restore, and release. Vinegar Syndrome has an amazingly large film archive consisting of thousands of 35 and 16 millimeter negatives and prints and are actively finding films that are underappreciated, undervalued, and underseen. So many of their releases have never seen the light of day since VHS, and they're restoring them to all their glory. Some of these films do not have the right to look as good as they do, but they do. I'm looking at you, corpse grinders. Vinegar Syndrome has their own method of restoration where their goal is to recreate the theatrical experience as best as they can. With their own in-house lab, they scan, color grade, and restore each title personally. You'll never see any grain reduction and digital trickery on their discs. Vinegar Syndrome is a very exciting label, and we're proud to have them as a sponsor. They've been with us since the beginning, and we love them for it. Check out their website today and grab yourself a copy of Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song, Body Melt, Wonder Woman, Ice Cream Man, Christmas Evil, Dolomite, or my favorite, the Wisconsin Blood Trilogy of Blood Beef, Blood Hook, and the upcoming Blood Harvest. Once again, be sure to visit them at www.vinegarsyndrome.com and grab yourself something cool. Let them know your good friend Michael sent you. Today's episode of The Shameless Picture Show is sponsored by Mill Creek Entertainment. Mill Creek is the industry leader when it comes to value-priced DVD and Blu-ray features and compilations. They have one of the largest catalogs out there, ranging from kids programming, classic films and television, independent cinema, documentary, and Latino cinema. Hell, they even produce their own content in-house. Mill Creek is a trusted partner with some of our favorite studios, including Sony Pictures, Walt Disney Entertainment, Warner Brothers, CBS Home Entertainment, and many more. And the best part about Mill Creek is how easy they are to find. Mill Creek has deals with thousands of big box stores, grocery stores, drug stores, and practically any other retailer you can imagine. Trust me when I say I've owned plenty throughout my time as a collector without even realizing it. They're a name I can trust. Some of my favorite releases include Can't Hardly Wait, Night of the Living Dead, House on Haunted Hill from their Vincent Price collection, the complete series of Quantum Leap, the complete series of The Secret World of Alex Mack, and of course, you're the hunter from the future. Head over to www.milkcreekent.com, that's milkcreekent.com, and see what their collection has to offer. I guarantee you'll find something great. Warning! This movie podcast actually discusses movies. Be aware that it may discuss any of the following elements. Endings, surprise twists, unexpected cameos, and all manner of spoilers. If this doesn't appeal to you, why listen to a movie podcast? Without further ado, please enjoy our feature presentation, The Shameless Picture Show. Hello and welcome to another bonus episode of the Shameless Picture Show. I am Michael Viers, and today I am going to be reviewing some Blu-ray discs. The bonus episodes are always a lot of fun for me, and you listeners also seem to get quite a bit out of it too, which I really always appreciate. 
Um, today we're going to be looking at some discs from... I got three of them today. <sighs> Sorry, I just ran up the stairs. Uh, I got three. <laughs> that sounds so sad. I just ran up the stairs. I am so out of shape. Now I was running back and forth. We just got a new puppy. And uh, he seems to like hanging out with me when I record. But that's actually not too surprising considering the dogs usually like to hang out while I'm recording. But he's uh, he's laying right next to me. Just chewing on his fur. I don't know. Uh, I've got my, my blue Gatorade, so we're all set. But no, i got three discs today. I've got uh, two from Vinegar Syndrome. One from Mill Creek. Um... I've already figured out which order I'm going to do them in, which is exciting. <clears throat> so I guess let's get right in, up into it. Oh, uh, and I did want to mention, for those of you who are keeping track, the Wisconsin Podcast Festival uh, just recently happened. A friend of the show, Ron Perti, actually got to do a live episode that day, which is very exciting. It was his 200th episode, so we're very proud of that. We're very proud to hear that he's doing so very well for himself uh, me, Ron, and a bunch of other great local podcasts were all nominated for a slew of awards. Us, personally, we were nominated for Best New Podcast, which amuses me a little bit because we are far, far from a new podcast, but whatever, we'll take it. Uh, best Entertainment Podcast and uh, Podcast of the Year. And unfortunately, we didn't get any of them. But, you know, we continue on. We will continue to do great things, and that's all that matters. I also want to give some shout-outs to friends of the shows. I don't normally do this, but I want to start making it a bigger part of the show. So, first off, um, friend of the show, Katie Cadaver, who was in our Blues Brothers episode. She just had a very successful burlesque show. Her uh, She does a Friday the 13th event with her, her group, Grindhouse Tees. Had a very successful show very recently, so I'm proud of them. And her uh, her boyfriend's band, Rat Bat Spider, played. I unfortunately wasn't able to make it myself. I heard it was a great success. So go out and check out the next Grindhouse Tea shows, show. I believe they have one October 19th. I was asked to be a judge on that one, but I'm going to see Elton John that night. So unfortunately, I won't be there, but go support them uh, on top of that. Um, friend of the show, Josephine. Maria Yanisak. I'm 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 not even gonna try the second part of the name. I'm so sorry, Josephine, that I do not know how to pronounce your name. Uh, she just wrote a very very fascinating article for Medium.com called "Vintage Video Resurrected," about her experience with vintage analog video and how that made her a cinephile. And I liked it quite a bit because it was it was partly it was definitely about the nostalgia of physical media. But I liked about I liked the film culture aspect of it, how there's more than just one way to watch a movie. You know, obviously people want to go to the big movie plexes with the seven point one surround sound and Atmos and all this other great stuff and perfect picture quality. And I'm a sucker for that as well. But you know, sometimes just getting a couple friends together and watching a you know a seven times duplicated VHS tape, going to a rundown drive-in. Or even, you know, throwing up a screen in an alley. These are all important ways to watch films. So, yeah, I wanted to give a couple shout-outs to people who have supported my show. So I want to show them some support back. Let's get on right to the reviews. So first off, from Vinegar Syndrome, we have a movie called Play Dead. 
aka Killer Dog, aka Satan's Dog. Hester Ramsey, played by the wonderful Yvonne Carwell, lives in a cavernous old house with her pet Rottweiler, Greta, to keep her company. Bitter and alone, Hester blames her estranged sister for stealing away her one true love, Sam, decades earlier. Following her sister's death, Hester begins to plot a diabolical revenge, using her knowledge of the black arts to place a spell on her dog, and then gifting the satanic beast to her grief-stricken niece, Audrey, played by Stephanie Dunham. Soon, these cl- those closest to Audrey begin to get bumped off by her newly cursed pet in a series of increasingly violent accidents, as Hester seeks to kill off all of her surviving family and leave Audrey to take the blame. A low-key Texas-lensed supernatural thriller that was produced by construction by a construction company, Peter Whitman's Play Dead mixes southern melodrama and a smittering of TNA alongside its requisite bloodshed and occult-tinged twists. Given only a scant theatrical release before being dumped into video, Vinegar Syndrome brings this regional sleeper to Blu-ray, newly restored in 2K from its original 35mm interpositive. This house holds a deadly secret. In it, a living nightmare is growing. There are some things that are meant to stay hidden. Locked away, watching, waiting. Seeing it may be the last thing you ever do. It has always stalked its prey. The soft, warm flesh of the hunter beckons to the primeval instinct for the taste of blood. There is no reprieve from the horror, only a raging madness unleashed to kill. It's a game of death played in blood. Open the door. And you play dead. What'd you find out? Yeah, there were a couple of hairs in her hand. Looked like animal. When you scream, it's already too late. The beast is loose. Are you sure? I need your chance. The beast is loose with a hunger for human flesh. Who was at the door? Whoever it was, they left. Oh, my God! The beast is loose, driven by its lust for blood. Play dead. So, play dead, I really thought was going to be right up my alley um it's like okay i love regional cinema i love small little independent films made by local filmmakers who um you know are trying to show off their town it's done with mostly local crews maybe a big name or something and it's uh, regional cinema is what really tricks my trigger sorry trips my trigger 
Um, and then I thought, well, it's got a killer Rottweiler, which really appeals to Amanda's sensibilities. It's got Yvonne DiCarlo, which excites me. So it's got Robert A. Burns, who did the art direction in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Hills of Eyes, Reanimator, a bunch of other great stuff. So I was like, hey, this sounds like it's going to be great. And <sighs> melodrama was the best way to describe it. It felt very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Soap opera-esque? And it's acting, the way the movie was lit, it was very high-key lighting. Uh, The dog was honestly the best part of the film. I guess before I get too out of control with uh, commenting on the film, I feel like I should talk a little bit about what the film's technically about. So Play Dead, like I said, is uh, as the back of the movie book, back of the box said is about a character by the name of Hester Ramsey, and um, she was in love with this guy named Sam. And she blames her sister for being the reason that Sam and her never fell in love. So she's always had a grudge against that side of the family, against the sister, um, and is pretty much known in, from the family side as being crotchety old aunt. And when her sister finally dies... Um, you know, she comes to the the funeral and everyone assumes she's there to raise hell, which she is. She's got this dog named Greta that you can get the feeling that she is the only thing that she really loves. Um, but she's still got this, this venge. She's still seeking vengeance against this side of the family, which is so unfortunate because they really had nothing to do with, with her not getting the man that she loves. So she uses her dark arts to... I guess in a way possess this dog that goes around and tries to kill these people. Time has come for us, Greta. We're going to use the power. Come on, Greta. It's time. Domine tenebrarum. Domine tenebrarum. Canis diabolus. Canis sanctissime. Me secure. Domine tenebrarum. Me secure. Me secure. And what's what's funny? Is you'd think that a movie that is features a, a killer demonic dog would have deaths that are more in line with a killer dog, like being mauled and being bit, things like that. No, instead, this dog is an evil genius, and like he pours lye into someone's drink, and that's what, and they get poisoned. Or uh, uh, vehicular manslaughter. He he 
he um, undoes the parking brake in a car so it rolls over and kills them. So he wants to make it all seem that it's not, it must make it seem like a dog's not killing them. It's, it's, it's so deliciously goofy. The dog's the best part of the film because he, uh, the dog seems so legitimately happy the entire time. Also found out from the special features that they use two dogs, like they normally do. They used the actual dog named Greta. I think that was the dog's actual name as well. And they used Greta's daughter. So anytime Greta the dog was getting too tired, anytime they had to run around too much, they brought in the daughter. And I just thought that was painfully adorable. In, in the 1980s, Troma had, um, had released this movie. And it feels very much like the type of movie that Troma was putting out around the time. I can't say I necessarily loved this film. Um, I wanted to love this film with the the plot line, the way it was, and like I said the killer dog, Amanda's favorite type of dog is a Rottweiler, so that that seems really exciting. I just we tried watching it twice. The first time we watched it, it was getting late, and it's it's a slow meandering movie, which I normally like, but it was too late for something like that. So we we stopped and tried again. I thought, well, maybe the movie will pick up. And it does. It has its high points. It's it's I <laughs> hell, I gave the movie an extra half star for a cute dog. Um the deaths I think are interesting. The acting's serviceable. I just think a better score and maybe a little bit better production value would have really helped this film. There's a great killer dog somewhere in this. It's a shame they wasted the title <laughs> on a movie that's like that's just not very good. I hate I hate trashing on things because I know how hard it is to make a lot of these movies. Uh, any movie is t- it's tough to make. I hate being hyperly, I hate being hypercritical because I'm a pretty positive guy. Most things considered, I find the good in most movies. It just for some reason, Play Dead just wasn't for me. I think this movie is going to have an audience. Um, <clears throat> it's too absurd not to. It just for me personally didn't really do a whole lot for me. Um, in terms of special features, um, as always, newly scanned and restored in 2K from its 35 millimeter interpositive. There's a video interview of director Peter Whitman. I watched this. It was about five minutes. And one, it was a little hard to hear. Peter Whitman, I'm not too sure where he's from. Uh, let's see if IMDb will tell me. Because he, the man definitely had an accent of some sort. Um, unfortunately, he doesn't say. Um, I was I was intrigued to hear this. Because on the back of the box, they said it was oh, the movie was produced by... Construction company Peter Whitman only made a handful of films. Um, Peter Whitman's got a really strong accent, and so does the interviewer. The mic—it's not mic'd very well. It's only about five minutes, but one of the first things out of Peter Whitman's mouth is, "I made this movie over thirty something years ago. I don't remember all the details." And it's like, "Oh, this is already not going to be a great interview." And there were some little nuggets of information. Um, but it didn't. It just felt like Peter Whitman didn't really want to talk, and it was a shame because there's. Oh, I feel like a lot of times with these low budget regional films, there's a story to be told, and this one, I wanted more of it. But that's where the next next uh, feature comes in. There's an audio interview with actress Stephanie Dunham. Stephanie Dunham has a fantastic memory for everything that happened when she made this film, and that's that's exciting. Uh, my biggest complaint was that it was an audio interview only, and I've got, this is first world problems, I've got an OLED television, and if you keep a static image on there for too long, you run the risk of screen burn. It was only about 28 minutes, so that's not enough time to really have that happen, but I, 
I wish it would have been intercut with some pic- with some pictures from the film or something like that, just to give us uh, a little bit, m- give us something to look at. Um, like I said, her recall on how of everything to do with this film was fantastic. She's the one who told mentioned the information about Greta being two dogs and what that was like working with Yvonne de Carlo, the fact that they're shooting in Peter Whitman's house, uh, him and his wife. And so they they didn't have strict wrap times. They could shoot for as long as they want because they were using their own house. Uh, what it was like trying to get roles. She even talks a very little bit about working with Chuck Norris on his film Silent Rage. You know, just to start off, how did you end up getting this role? Because this is uh, one of your first, if not your first, uh, acting roles uh, as far as a feature film, correct? It's my second feature, and that was instrumental. Um, I had done uh, another film in Texas um, just prior to this shoot, and um, it was a Chuck Norris film called oh, the, Silent Age. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it, uh, uh, because of his popularity, I still get residuals from that. <laughs> That's awesome. I know. <laughs> They're not very big anymore. Um, but uh, I had... Uh, a long-term relationship with the sound mixer from that uh, film and he knew Francine and Peter very well and so when it came to auditions he put in a good word for me because they didn't know me and uh, but he let them know that they could rely on me so I think it was a matter of of uh, having another professional say I just worked with her and she's good so that interview definitely made up for Peter Whippins uh, there's an original theatrical trailer, reversible cover artwork, English subtitles, and the film was made in 1982, 86 minutes in color, 1851, and from mono soundtrack, um, region A, B, and C. So, Play Dead, personally not for me, but I think people are still going to like this film. Next up, from our friends over at Mill Creek, we have... The New Kids. I loved The New Kids. So let me read the back for you. The New Kids. They can't afford to lose. Introducing The New Kids. A startling non-stop ticket to terror from director Sean S. Cunningham. After their parents die in a car crash, two all-American teens, Lauren, played by Shannon Presby, and Abby, played by Lori Lawlin, Go to live with relatives in small in a small Florida town, but trouble begins. Once members of a, of a vicious gang led by Dutra, played by James Spader, bet on who will be the first to seduce the innocent Abby. Wait, hold on, let me read that again. That was an awkward sentence. I probably made it more awkward by mentioning the actors. After their parents die in a car crash, two all-American teens, Lauren and Abby, go to live with relatives in a small Florida town. But trouble begins once members of a vicious gang led by Dutra bet on who will be the first one to sedu- first one to seduce innocent Abby. Okay, I made it more awkward. When she spurns their obscene advances, the thugs embark on a sadistic campaign of vandalism, arson, and assault. The savagery escalates until Warren must defend her s- himself and his sister in a brutal fight to the death in a carnival midway. It's the new kids trying to make it in this town might kill them. Um, This movie has actually got two descriptions, so I'll read them both. Abby McWilliams, played by Lori Wallen from TV's Full House, Nightmare Begins when she attracts the unwanted attention of teenage psychopath Eddie Dutra, James Spader from TV's Blacklist, 
Turned down for a date, Eddie destroys Abby's home, vandalizes her uncle's car, and nearly stomps her brother Lauren, played by Shannon Presby, to death. But it's only when he kidnaps Abby from the school dance that Eddie shows his true feelings. Fueled by cocaine and armed with a shotgun, Eddie's last lust turns to uncontrollable rage as he takes Abby on a date from hell in this terror-packed thrill ride from the director of Friday the 13th. They are brother and sister alone. Vince and Mac and Mom are dead. Killed in a car crash. On their own. Without parents. Without friends. Trying to make it in a new town. Something bothering you, cousin? No. Nothing ever bothers me. Facing a dangerous new enemy. I can get it. Says who? That's me and 50 bucks. A gang that will stop at nothing to add one new word to their lives. Terror. You think we ought to light ourselves a little fire? You want crazy? Well, I'll show you crazy. the director of the original Friday the 13th comes a new ticket to terror striking back you want crazy well I'll show you crazy all right the, de- the first description was definitely better the second one made it, it not, it's not that it's not a sleazy film but made it sound way sleazier the reason this film's got two different descriptors is because it's part of their new retro collection uh, Mill Creek's retro collection, that is, where they, um, the slipcover will have the original VHS artwork, and it looks like there's a tape coming out of it too, and what I assume is the original VHS description on the back, which I quite like, because um, I don't normally do packaging reviews too often, but I really love this slipcover. Um, I think it gives a really great idea of what the film's about. On the front of it, you see, you see uh, Shannon and his sister Abby. You see a, sh- a mysterious hand of a shotgun pointing out, out at them. And a bunch of mysterious creepy faces in the back. You see a, 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 what's meant to look like a sticker that says restricted rated R. It's just kind of got a, a very classic fun feel. It kind of reminds me of the box for, uh, or it kind of reminds me of The Legend of Billy Jean. That could just because the movie reminds me of that. Whereas the new cover makes it feel very, very cheap. Like the picture on the front looks like looks like Laurie Lawlin now, but they just kind of poorly photoshopped in a bunch of faces. They're making it seem much more like a horror film when it's. It's it's definitely more of an exploitation film, but um, before I start talking about the new kids, I'm a big fan of film critic Ian West. Um, I really like his reviews. I think he finds, me and him seem to be very in line with a lot of our reviews, and he picks out a lot of the same goofy, interesting um, pieces of information or tidbits that I find. Um... He writes for GhastlyGrinning.com, and he's a contributor at 
that's not current.com. I jokingly asked him on Letterboxd if I can just read his review as my description for as my review for the movie. And he said, sure. I'm still going to talk about how I felt about the film, but I want to start with Ian West. Um, so Ian West says, this movie starts with a training montage heavily featuring Tom Atkins in slow-mo. And I immediately said to myself, well, this movie just peaked in two minutes. But luckily, I was wrong. After their parents die, a sister and brother head to Florida to live with their uncle on his recently purchased Santa-themed amusement park. Soon it becomes new kids being bullied by James by a James Spader-led cocaine rapist psycho rednecks with knives, guns, gasoline, and a pit bull trained to kill. Total scumbags. The final act gets pretty nuts. A showdown in an amusement park with plenty of blood and violence, and I just... Didn't expect to happen, but I should have seen that coming, judging from the creepy home invasion scene earlier in the movie. I kind of loved this. Equal parts summer movie, sleazy backwoods nightmare with a dark mean streak that really took me off guard. So he pretty much says it best. So as as it says, um, the lead, our lead characters, um, Lauren and Abby, they... Their father is played by Tom Atkins. He is a high-ranking soldier in the military. He goes. He is going to meet the president because he's going to be honored with a an award. And on their way home, they they find out the the kids find out their parents died in a car crash, a car accident, and they are homeless for all intents and purposes. Don't know what to do. Um, their uncle, the father's brother comes in and says hey i don't want this i don't want you guys living on your own how about you come live with me um down in florida get a brand new fresh start so they go and they find out their uncle who they don't they don't pitch it that he's scuzzy because of it but you can get the feeling that he is kind of a get rich quick scheme kind of guy um and uh that his newest get-rich-quick scheme is an amusement park, a Santa Claus-themed amusement park in Florida. Just let that sink in. His thought process is, well, we are about an hour or two away from Disneyland. People can come to our park on their way to Disneyland, spend the day, have a good time, and then go to Disney World. It, Sorry, Disney World, not Disneyland. It makes sense, I guess. Uh, I guess it wouldn't be my my instinct to go to a roadside Santa Claus at the... Uh, what can I say? Of course it would be my instinct to go to a roadside Santa Claus amusement park. But it seems very creepy and scuzzy. Uh, but he's completely innocent and hardworking. He just sucks with money. And I'm also glad they didn't, didn't feature this too heavily. You get the feeling that he is kind of pumping the kids for money because they have some money from a settlement from their parents passing away. But... You get the feeling that he's doing it because he legitimately wants to get this park going. So while they're at school, they meet Dutra, Eddie Dutra, uh, which is a fantastic name. Um, He's played by James Spader at his probably his most skeezy, his most skeezy. But he, I hate saying this, you can't take your eyes off of him. He's fantastic in this movie. Um, Because of that. Um, he, he it's kind of becomes like an American Pie type situation, which is kind of creepy, where they're like, oh, let's see who can, this new girl, Abby, let's see who can get with her first. And she is just not interested, which I'm so happy about. She's just not interested. She tells them all off. They come on to her way stronger, and she sticks up for herself. You know, there's a dance Saturday. Yeah, 
so I heard. You going? Oh, I don't know. I haven't decided yet. I'm going. Go with me. Why? <laughs> well, because I'm asking you. So? I'm asking you. You will have a good time. You'll go, right? Oh, look, I don't know. I'm, we haven't really met. I'm sorry. Oh, you owe me four dollars. Give me bullshit about four dollars. I'm talking about a dance here. Look, I have a lot of work to do, so could you just give me the money? I can't change that. Listen, I'm asking you nicely. Are you gonna go with me? I don't think so. Thanks, here's your change. I'm Dutra. <laughs> you know what that means? You know, I come in here and act decent and you don't, you turn me down. Well, I don't fucking believe that. You're crazy. Crazy? You want crazy? Well, I'll show you crazy. And her brother Lauren also tries to help stick up for her and it becomes a big battle of the, the stuck up city kids versus the locals. And, uh, it, all comes to a culmination in this really amazing third act that's all set in this this um, this Santa Claus amusement park where uh, it becomes a battle for the death. Like, whoa! A movie with high schoolers where it becomes a fucking bloodbath. There's a killer dog. There's a death with a roller coaster. There's shotguns. There's cool music. The movie's written by Stephen Gyllenhaal, which is Jake Gyllen, Mag- Jake and Maggie Gyllenhaal's dad, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, it's Sean S. Cunningham, who I, 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 I like. Like I, I love the original Friday the Thirteenth. I don't think he's. I never really thought of him as that good of a director. I thought of him as a really pretty prolific producer. Um. But thinking about it, so he did Friday the 13th, he did this movie, a couple other ones, but he really shows that the man can direct a movie. He, I think he did a great job in this. Um, like I said, there are, I think this would make a fantastic double feature with The Legend of Billy Jean. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I don't have a whole lot more to say about it. Oh, the music's like Laywell Schifrin. That's awesome. Um Cinematography by a gentleman by the name of Steve Poster, who also did the cinematography in Donnie Darko. So this movie's got everything going for it. I This is definitely one of the movies I got most excited about when I was watching, and I think it's going to be a movie I come back to often. It's kind of got that sizzling heat of the summer vibe to it. It gets kind of backwoodsy and crazy, um, but it's it's got a slow logical build for a film like this it just does it doesn't 100 percent goes it doesn't go zero to 60 right away it takes its time but by the time it becomes a bloodbath you kind of feel like it's earned the movie earns that bloodbath 
um, because I'm gore can be very hit or miss. But I feel like if you're gonna if you're gonna go crazy if you're gore, it needs to be earned. So which I think this film does. No special features. Um, the movie uh, the movie had a stereo soundtrack. I believe it was one eight five one in color. Fantastic. I if you if you see the new kids, pick up a copy. Like I said, there's no special features or anything. So I this is really just off the movie alone. I loved this movie. Um, I'm actually kind of excited to rewatch it now that I've been talking about it. So, yeah, The New Kids, directed by Sean S. Cunningham. And for the main event, I've got a movie called Hellmaster, a.k.a. Them, put out by our friends over at Vinegar Syndrome. Decades ago, deranged Professor Jones, played by John Saxon, concocted a diabolical drug at a rural college called the Nietzsche Experiment designed to give its users telepathic abilities, but instead turned anyone who took it into violent lunatics. Now, 20 years later, Jones has returned to resume his experiments and avenge himself against those he feels wronged him and his work. Armed with a group of hideously deformed mutant slaves, it's not long before the tranquil college becomes host to vicious violence and carnage. A Detroit shot regional horror movie made at the decline of the direct-to-video era, Hellmaster was the first feature from cult filmmaker Douglas Schultz, Dark Fields, and co-stars David M.G. from Dawn of the Dead, he played Flyboy, combining gothic horror and creature-filled narrative trappings with intensely colorful and Argento-inspired visuals, courtesy of acclaimed cinematographer Michael Goy, who shoots American Horror Story, Hellmaster was originally titled Them, but was subsequently re-edited with new footage and also added and released straight to video and cable several years after its initial completion. Vinegar Syndrome presents this fascinating slice of creature horror in its original theatrical Them version for the first time on home video, along with its more commonly seen Hellmaster recut, newly restored in 4K from its 35mm original negative under supervision from cinematographer Michael Goy. John Saxon, star of Death House and Nightmare on Elm Street, stars in Hellmaster. Terror looms at a cryptic college campus when a genius professor, presumed killed in a research experiment, returns to his alma mater for revenge. People say they used experimental drugs on the students to develop their minds back then. This madman performs unspeakable experiments with a mutating drug. And lets loose his followers to take over the campus. There's enough of that stuff down there to breed armies of those things. If a god created this world in six days, and I can make hell of it in one night, then God must be dead. And one gifted student, Shelly O'Dean, is forced to battle the professor in a mental struggle for freedom. Thoughts in your mind. 
Who will emerge victorious? The student or the great biochemist? John Saxon as Hellmaster. Tell me, what do you see? Coming soon. So my review on this is going to be for the for the the cut for the theatrical cut for them. Um, I did watch a little bit of the Hellmaster recut, and I will say right off the bat, I think I prefer them. But so the film the the description doesn't go super in depth. So it talks about John Saxon and he plays um, Professor Jones. Um, he doesn't come in until about until a little bit later on in the film. The film takes place at I think it's Kant Institute is a fake institute, um, and it's about these students who start unraveling the story of what happened when their dean of their dean of students, along with Professor Jones and a reporter, get tied up into this this crazy story. The, the plot is. Convoluted and doesn't quite make a lot of sense, and I think that's the biggest thing holding this film back because I legitimately loved this movie. So these students who are all studying—I couldn't even really tell you what they're studying. It seems like they're studying science of some sort, but they're also talking deeply about theoretical—not uh, theoretical—they're talking deeply about religious themes, um, and there's very little character development amongst any of them. But as the film, so as as we get to know these characters slightly and kind of follow follow their day in and day out lives, things start slowly happening. So um, there's this really creepy bus that starts heading its way. We assume towards Kant Institute that uh, was stolen from a. Well, I guess in the movie they kind of hint at that it was. The, the these crazy mutants stole it from a a, a real church, and uh, I've kind of taken it over as being their their vehicle of doom, and uh, it's how they start making their way to the university. I'm also not doing a very good job of describing this because let me go back. David M G plays a reporter. The reporter starts reporting on um, this homeless ec- epidemic and this drug abuse amongst homeless people. And the begin- movie begins with him typing up a story about this group of homeless people that he encountered. And when he got there, they a lot of them had this, this, it, this weird mark carved into their forehead or maybe branded into their forehead. And they all seem to be going crazy with drugs um, and they're non-responsive. And as he types up this this paper, just weird things start happening. And as he and his his discoveries lead him back to the Kant Institute, which is where we meet these students who find that their teacher and dean of students is directly tied into this. So they all become just part of. You know, they kind of get stuck in this unra- this raveling net. Because uh, John Saxon's character, Professor Jones, believes he can create an army of super people. His whole thing is disproving that God is even alive because he's a very he, he he's got this nihilism behind him. He's got this line in the movie 
that if you know God took God six days to create the earth and I can I can destroy it in a single night, that proves that God is dead. Um, and the whole point of this this drug was to help unleash people's telepathic thoughts. And I only found this out through the through the special features, but apparently there was supposed to be this subplot of everyone at the school having some a little bit of a telekinesis background or to have a, having slight telepathic abilities. And what Jones's original thought was was that if I can help people unleash that and we can, you know, help the world, I guess, but he find out, found out that if how this stuff's supposed to work if you dilute it with your own blood it will bring out your telepathic powers if he dilutes it with his blood he turns everyone into his fucking zombies that are here to kill everyone and if you just give people the drug straight with no dilution it kills them very convoluted but that's what the plot of this movie's like um despite the convoluted plot because hell honestly convoluted plot doesn't mean anything to me i love suspiria but that movie i is not the easiest movie to follow either. Um, this was a lot of fun. It felt very gothic at times because they're actually shooting in a real life insane asylum, which is super crazy. And it was open at the time. They they talk about that in the commentary that there's times where people were they're shooting right outside someone's window and they're shouting at them and they had to remove the audio. Um, there's these creepy religious themes. There's a character dressed just as a nun who is just mowing people down with looks like a, a reaper scythe. Um, that character is actually played by Ron Ashton, who was the guitarist in the Stooges, which is kind of great. So they're able to get John Saxon, David M.G., uh, Ron Ashton. Like They got a lot of names for this movie uh movie is beautifully shot um like i said it has a very an argento-esque feel where they kind of subscribe to the thought processes it doesn't matter if you know like oh you can't have light coming from there because it's not motivated who cares if it's motivated we're not here to recreate real life so it's crazy colored gels uh interesting lighting patterns uh, Douglas Schultz talks about a lot about how he was spent more time with his uh, art direction than he did with directing the film. And he's very self-deprecating in the um, director commentary where he's, he thinks the film's a little bit of a flop. Uh, he said, like, we had big name actors and we had an amazing cinematography, we had a great crew. But he said to him, it feels like a student film. And I can see that, but I if fuck if I would have made a movie this interesting when I was a student and a feature film, I'd be ecstatic because the film looks fantastic. This is this is a beautiful Vinegar Syndrome release. Uh, the effects in it are great, and they're goopy and they're weird, and there's this weird scientific bent to it. Um, like I said, the visuals are very um, over the top and drug like. Um, John Saxon, I, I love John Saxon. 
Uh, I'll watch him in pretty much anything. David MG's great. He's he has this fucking crossbow and he just goes around pelting these psychotic lunatics with these syringes that kills them and makes them melt into goo. There's a killer kid. There's a dude dressed as a nun who is just covered is bloody and insane. There's a creepy bus. This movie's got everything and once and, it, and it, it's beautifully lit. Yeah, like I said, the biggest thing that this movie's got against it is the simple fact that it's just the story is too overdone. And there's not a whole lot of character... Um, there's not really much of a character arc with any of these characters. And like I said, for me, that doesn't really matter. Uh, me and Nick have talked about this a lot. I'm 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 definitely an aesthetics guy when it comes to film. Yes, I want a good story. I want all that. But if, if I can just be moved by the visuals and the music, which the music is awesome. The opening theme, which I'll pump in here probably right now, is fucking stellar. And... It was a perfect September movie because I was looking for something Halloween-inspired, and they say in the movie that it was it was it was dead of winter when they're shooting this. And at sometimes you can see what looks to be snow, which is cool, but definitely everything is it, there's a lot of Halloween decorations around. And I wrote my my original review that it's you could practically smell the fall weather wafting off the screen. Um, I went in not too sure if I was even going to like this movie, but with its killer music, its goofy characters, creepy tone, and our gentle f- vibe, I thought it was great. Like I said, it does lack a coherent plot, but its weirdness makes up for it. Uh, this and this is definitely a, a must-buy. If you've got similar tastes to my own, I think this is a must-buy. Um, sorry, this, this was my most incoherent review, but this is the one I was so per- super excited to talk about. Special features include... Newly scanned and restored in 4K from its 35mm original camera negative. And like I said, the movie's gorgeous. I, I can barely see an imperfection on this screen. And there's the original theatrical version titled Them. And then there's the director's recut version known as Hellmastered. Hellmastered. It's in standard def. I started watching this. I watched about 30 minutes. I watched it with the commentary too just because it's... To kill two birds with one stone like i've seen the movie once uh they did say in the commentary which uh douglas schultz did the commentary along with his, along with the producer i wish i can remember which one it was uh, they said that this is the closest version to the script which intrigues me because the version of, of them kind of brings in creepiness throughout the film and um shows you the the psychotics and the killers pretty early on, which I thought was fine. They said their original thought process with Hellmaster was to not show as much and for it to be a general sense of doom and for it to slowly uh, unravel itself. And the film begins completely different. It's got a completely different beginning. Uh, one of the first kills happens pretty early on as opposed to where it was in the original cut. So it's definitely a very different cut of the film, and I'm actually kind of excited to go back and rewatch it. The standard def version is not nearly as gorgeous as the 4K remaster, but, you know, beggars can't be choosers. Um, I will definitely be rewatching Hellmaster with that original cut, or with the recut version, the director's recut version. Uh, there's a director's commentary on both versions. The director's commentary seemed a lot more fluid on the Hellmaster cut, because probably because David Schultz had his producing partner along there with him. So they were able to fill in gaps. There's a couple times, and 
on the theatrical version where he would just stop for long periods of time, probably watching the movie, trying to compose his thoughts and remember. Um, does have some interesting anecdotes throughout the film. He talks a lot about uh, his thought process uh, behind his art direction and what he was trying to achieve with this film. Uh, it's a pretty interesting listen. Then there's an interview called Creating Reality, an interview with cinematographer Michael Goy, and this was fantastic. Michael Goy, who's not only a huge horror fan, um, and uh, working cinematographer right now, he, he goes on a little uh, rant near the end about how important companies like Vinegar Syndrome are, which is great. Um, Michael Goy, who is the who's cinematographer on American Horror Story, has done about 41 episodes, according to IMDb. He shot a couple episodes of Scream Queens. He did Glee. He directed an episode of the new Swamp Thing. He shot My Name is Earl. He's been working for a very long time. Talks about his influences shooting this film and what it was like making it. He talks about how Mario Bava was a huge influence on his style and he talks about how he got how he introduced david schultz to suspiria because he said that he's like david schultz was on a completely different level and he did so not for any reason not to show david schultz that hey this stuff's been done before but to more show show him look how few people are making movies like this you should pursue your vision on this film and I could have listened to Michael Goy probably do an entire commentary and do a very technical commentary about how he did a lot of this stuff. This was a fascinating interview, and I loved it. Um, there's a conceptual artwork gallery, which shows a lot of original drawings, which is pretty cool. Behind-the-scenes still gallery. Uh, archival locations featurette, which is really creepy. It looked like it was shot on, like, high 8 tape. And I have no idea what year this was shot. Um, just showing the insane asylum that this movie takes place at. It looked to me like it was years after the movie was shot because it didn't look like it was operational in, in the in the archival locations featurette. And Michael Goy had mentioned how now they're, they're condos. So I have no clue when this was shot. It's actually very creepy. It felt like an experimental film I would have watched when I was in film school. Uh, reversible cover artwork, which, not going to lie, I don't really like either of the artworks, but whatever. English subtitles. Uh, movie is made in 1992, 96 minutes in color, 1851 cinematography. It comes in a stereo soundtrack, but this is a cool stereo soundtrack where it's left, right, and center. So your center channel is still in play, which is pretty cool. Um, Hellmaster. Highly recommend. Uh, a lot of people on Letterboxd are kind of trashing the film and saying how oh, it's not very good, it's not watchable. I don't know. Maybe they watched a different movie than me because I loved it. I loved it. Now, if I had to choose between the new kids and Hellmaster, I'd probably choose the new kids, but buy them both. Um, that's it for this week, guys. Next time you hear me should be our me and Nick's big Super Mario Brothers Masters of the Universe episode. Only reason I didn't didn't have that up sooner it's been recorded it's just because it's my birthday week and i wanted to take some time off so i thought bonus episodes are quick and dirty i can do them fast i thought instead of that instead of um trying to get a longer episode done i would do two of the bonus episodes and put those up instead um i do have some movies still coming up that i need to review um, first off, we're, I am going to be reviewing Arrow Video's new release of Hellraiser, which kind of came at a great time with watching Hellmaster and then getting to watch Hellraiser. 
it'll be a fun kind of double feature. Um, I'll also be watching Mill Creek's release of Roxanne, which I'm excited for. Um, and then I'll probably throw another Vinegar Syndrome title in. So thanks for listening, guys. As always, let me know if there's anything else you'd like me to try to accomplish with these bonus episodes. Because I get stuff in the mail from my sponsors, and I want to tell you all about them. But if there's a specific way you'd like me to start doing these episodes, please let me know. So... As I said, thanks for listening, guys. Rate, review, and subscribe on your podcast app of choice. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Libsyn, Stitcher Radio. Uh, We still have the video versions going up occasionally on YouTube through MCTV. Make sure you check out those because they're edited slightly differently. Nick does all the editing on those, so they can be kind of fun and goofy. These are exclusive to the podcast, though, Um, and I'll see you soon. Thanks for listening.